Hello and welcome to the Give Us a Sign podcast, the official signature podcast where we talk about deaf culture, identity and issues. Each week we'll be talking to a special guest and this week I'm delighted to say I'm joined by deaf TV presenter Ahmed Madawi. Ahmed is a household name in the deaf community, having spent much of the last two deaf kids on our screens. You'll probably have seen Ahmed as an Envision translator for Channel 4, Channel 5 and the BBC, and also the presenter of This Is Deaf. Ahmed is committed to empowering black deaf people, whether that's through his work on BSL Zone's Black Lives Matter or through black deaf media representation. Ahmed is also a volunteer for Black Deaf UK. I'm your host, Matthew Ford, and I'm with Ahmed here now. Good morning, Ahmed. Good to see you. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Very well, thank you. Perfect. And firstly, for those people listening and watching who may not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Uh, yeah, a pleasure. So my name is Ahmed Mudawi. I'm a TV presenter and I've also moved into deaf uh, relay interpreting work and also translation work. That's been uh, really good. And I also work with Black Deaf UK uh, in terms of supporting that community. So lots of different hats. You forgot to mention you were a signature Hall of Fame inductee. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, too true. Um, I was very overwhelmed actually receiving that award. Very proud as well because I think it's really important for the deaf um, black community to have that recognition. And, you know, the ceremony, the awards itself was amazing. It was amazing. And I certainly didn't expect to receive an award. And, you know, afterwards I had a queue of people wanting an autograph and a photo. That was pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, so, you know, I, I remember I had, you know, on the night somebody said, could I go and meet somebody in a wheelchair because they couldn't actually come to where I was stood. Um, just, just great. Just really good recognition. How are you finding the, the interpreter and the translation that you're doing? How's that going? Yeah. So, I mean, historically it was never an ambition of mine to work within translation or relay work um, but actually what I was working with in the profession I was working with I was supporting grassroots members of the community and I'd worked in that for 18 years and that sort of came to an end I was made redundant so I've always done that alongside my presenting work so I still had my presenting work but the thought then was well what else am I going to do um, and a, good, a very good friend of mine um, knew that I'd been made redundant. And he said to me, well, why don't we get into translation work? I have to say my initial reaction was, no way, that's, that's just not me. Um, and I can tell you that the apprehension I had is the English auto cue. you know, that's a lot of processing, very fast processing simultaneously into sign language. Um, so when I first started, I actually found that just too tricky. But then, with more and more exposure, I came in, I did some shadowing work, and I actually realised, yeah, I had a bit of a knack for this. And, you know, this friend of mine that I referenced said, you know, a lot of people are just put off by the concept of it, but actually when they come to try it, they realise, look, yeah, you do have a knack for this. So I'm on the course currently with 
and 16, including me, 16 deaf people on, on my cohort from translation course to gain my full qualification as a translator. Um, and we're also focusing on the deaf relay side of things, um, deaf relay interpreting. So, you know, really looking forward to finishing that course. Hopefully Signature will give me the accreditation uh, and looking forward to what the future brings. Brilliant, that sounds really good. Um, you, you mentioned about being a, doing some deaf presenting. How did you get into that? How did, how did that come around? Yeah, so we're going back some time now. Uh, when I was 16, um, at that time, the British Deaf Association had a project. It was called the London Video Access Project. It was the LDPA. And it was making accessible education council government videos. And they were for, you know, um, looking for kids that were leaving school. Um, so I, it was just opposite where I, where I was. Um, and that was my first exposure to it. Um, there were two other presenters who joined at the same time. It was a really successful project. They got back in touch and said, look, we'd like to do some more. That led to me working on Channel 4 for a deaf program they had called VTV. That was in a production house called Maverick. And um, I worked alongside two other deaf ladies who were presenters. We were like brothers and sisters throughout the whole of that film. Um, that then led to working at Sea Here with BBC. And then more recently, I started working with BSL Zone. Um, and actually, you know, after Sea Here sort of came to an end, I sort of thought the presenting side of things was done for me. But BSL Zone asked if I would get involved. I sort of thought, look, you should be getting new faces. But I was really intrigued by the project This Is Death. Um, and the whole idea was to sort of have that studio where deaf people were coming into my home and we could talk in depth about specific topics specifically relating to the deaf community. And we sort of looked to bring a bit of humour into that. I would say that's very much my personality to see the lighter side of things. So that's been great. Yeah. We, um, we did some filming uh, at ITV and they had all the, the set ready to put back in for you to, for you to go. So yeah, it was it's good to see. It's good to see. What would you say has changed the most over the last 20 years in terms of a deaf TV presenter? Have you seen many changes? Yeah, good question. I think 20 years ago, um, it, was a, it was a real sort of watershed moment to have you know, a black deaf TV presenter. Um, that obviously came to an end. I think the difference that we see now is we see a lot more diversity on our screens now. We see a lot more young people now, um, and we see a wider range of people now. So say 20 years ago, I was a real outlier to be the one sort of black deaf guy on TV. So I think the, the biggest difference is that there's just more, more diversity, more opportunity, more of everything. It's good. Steps in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have a favourite project that you've worked on? That's such a difficult question. I've been involved in so many. Um, that's a really difficult question. I don't think I could pick one, but I'll give you some examples of some particular highlights. 
when I was working for VTV with Channel 4, that was amazing because I met so many real notable celebrities like uh, Jonathan Ross. I went out to Cannes for the film festival. Um, we travelled to um, sort of South Africa um, and we had a project which was to do with poverty, you know, around the world. That was, it's very familiar now, but it, it wasn't then. And just to be in that position to travel to areas of real poverty and interview people was, was amazing. Um, and to shine a light on that. Also did some filming at the Manchester City Stadium just after Man City had won the Premier League title. And that was with a fellow presenter, Memnos, um, Memnos Costi. And we've known each other for years. So there was a real sort of natural vibe between us, um, which was excellent. And then see here, asked us actually to get into, um, you know, the, the bars that they have there in the changing room, um, which was just such a, such a notable experience. Um, and then, you know, this is death, as, as we've already alluded to. Um, so I think this is definitely slightly different than VTV and BBC, because that was, you know, Channel 4, BBC, their range of products. Whereas this was just death-led from the outset. It was very raw, very specific to do with the community. And I certainly couldn't pick one person that we've had on This Is Death, because I think we've had so many interesting people, you know people from the deaf LGBTQ community, from the black deaf community, and, and more. Um, you know, getting information out there, healthy eating, what nutrients we should be getting into the body, just, just excellent work. So if you could present This Is Deaf on any topic, what, what topic would you like to cover? <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, wow. gosh. Um, You know, comedy really, um, primarily because I just I think the deaf community needs to be able to laugh, to have comedy. So I think you know, Christmas for example, you know, and Channel Four, they they have a, a program called Whose Line Is It Anyway, and um, you know you have to figure out who said whatever. It's always a, a funny context, something like that. I'd love to do bring some yeah. humour. A comedy show, that sounds, sounds good. Sounds good. Do you do much comedy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have done. I have done. Um, so just, do you know what? It's not like on stage, but it's like before we start filming and we have the crew and we have our guests arrive, usually the idea just to set them at ease is to just have a bit of a laugh, you know? So we have our monitor. We haven't started filming, but I know they're looking at me on the monitor. So, you know, I'll do whatever it is just to make people laugh. And, and I feel that that gives us a real energy then. And then when the guest comes, I think it's important to have, as I say, that rapport. Often people come in front of the camera and they're frozen. It's all right for me. I mean, I've had it myself, but now that I've had so much experience in front of camera, you get used to having your natural personality come across. But for guests, that's harder. So I really try to just add a little bit of comedy, try and get them out of their comfort zone, get them out of their nerves, um, and that really gets the best answers, I think. Brilliant, that sounds really good. So we always like to play a little game with our guests. 
Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to name some programs from BSL Zone. Two of the shows will be real shows. Two of them will be fake, and you've got to try to find the two imposters. Let's see how you do. So the first one is, if I don't lose, I lose. Okay. Next up, we have a deaf funny. Then we have, you still believe in me. And then we have wild visitors to my home. So one, so one of those is fake. Only one. Oh, only one, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. One is fake, yeah. Which one do you think might be fake? Okay, so I know Deaf Funny is real, because I've seen that. Now the other three, gosh, I'm not sure. So the fourth one, I think the fourth one could be fake. No, it's actually the third one. <laughs> so You Still Believe in Me is actually a Beach Boys title. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know about songs. I'm going I'm to plead unfairness. You're gonna, okay, that's fine, that's fine. It was just a little bit of fun. A little bit of fun. Came, came well on the back of the, the comedy discussion. Um, so from our research, we can see you originally came to the UK from Sudan when you were six. Could you tell us a little bit, like, a little bit more about the experience of moving and how you found it? Yeah, I mean, actually, I remember that very well, actually, you know, in, in Sudan life was very different, you know, the culture was different, the people were different, and obviously, I was in and around black people. I came here, um, the language was different, my family spoke Arabic, uh, we didn't have sign language then, so when I was six and then I moved, you could see an awful lot of difference, you know. I could recognise certain things, like, because, for example, on TV in Sudan, you would see certain images, like Ben, you know, the Hands of Parliament, for example. And, and I do remember when I first came here, I'm sorry to say, the food, I thought, what is this food? Meat, potatoes, veg, like, what is that? But, of course, I got used to it. I went to a deaf school. That was when I first was exposed to sign language. That was actually when I really identified the difference between being deaf and hearing. My sister, also deaf, I had one sister who's deaf, but she was oral, not a sign language user. So uh, I remember my parents really agonised over what the right educational placement would be for me. There wasn't there wasn't an appropriate setting in Sudan. My sister had been through such a difficult time. And when it came to me, um, you know, that was a very big factor in their decision-making to move here for the education for me. Um, and I, I'm, you know, eternally grateful to my parents that they made that decision and school worked out for me. How was it, how was it growing up with a, a deaf sister? How did that... Did you good support, could have the support network of each other? Yeah, so within our family home, my sister and I were always together. Um, compared to our other brothers and sisters, we were the two that were deaf. We could communicate. 
we both went to boarding school, whereas my siblings didn't last. When I left college, my sister and I were very close. She's always retained a very strong interest <coughs> in the arts. Um, and I've always retained, it's, it's not quite a hobby, but I've always retained a very strong interest in the community itself. Um, but my sister would always be taking me to art galleries, different exhibitions. I learned an awful lot because of my sister. And you know, we're still really close now. In fact, yesterday, funnily enough, I was invited by my sister to go to Windsor Castle because my sister was honoured by King Charles for an MBE. Yeah, congratulations. She was awarded an MBE by King Charles. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Um, you originally went to Sir Winston Churchill School for the Deaf, um, but at that time the school still taught oralism. How was that? How did you find it? That's quite, it's quite a complicated answer, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I, I couldn't sign when I first came here. And it, were, it was classmates that taught me sign language, but was also saying, you know, we can't sign in the class. We, you know, it's an oral school. I didn't even know what oral meant. And I was really confused because I've just been introduced to sign language, you know, telling me I can or can't use, when can I, when can't I use the language? Um, so it was quite a disorientating time. You know, at the time, oralism was prevalent, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, my teachers were, let me just say, my teachers were, were great, but let me tell you about a really strange moment that we had. I remember the classroom teacher asking all of us, BSL, British Sign Language, what is that? And the irony is, we didn't even understand the question, right? And a friend of mine did, could lip read the question, and said, yeah, yeah, I know about that, it's British Sign Language, my parents are deaf, we use sign language at home. And actually, that was a real eye-opener for me, because I thought, oh, you mean people use sign language outside of here, this classroom, my friends? There are other deaf people out there? there are, there's a wider thing called British Sign Language? And then as time, um, as time went on, I would stay with classmates, you know, for the weekend, with their families, they would take me to their local deaf club, and all of a sudden, that was just my eyes opened to this wider community. And they would say to me, look, there are deaf clubs all over the country. And then that was when I had that distinction between, hold on, there's this whole community that signs, and we're being taught in school only by speech. And you sort of become aware of that distinction. Um, and I guess that takes us to where we are today, where so many deaf schools have now closed down. So where is that exposure to the wider community? And that's heartbreaking for me. Yeah. That's completely, completely understandable. Um, we, we found out that you know both British Sign Language and Arabic Sign Language. What is the, the biggest differences between them? <laughs> oh, the, the chalk and cheese. Um, they're totally different. I mean, as a language in and of itself, Arabic compared to English, looking at it from an English lens, is read backwards, right? From right to left rather than left to right. Um, I would say that, you know, for example, here, one, two, three, four, five, but I think in Arabic, things are a little bit more um, basic, slower. And the signs literally 
follow the iconicity of words, really, in uh, in Arabic. When I visit Sudan, and I talk to them people, I kind of feel like, oh my God, this is taking forever. Conversations are very slow. Um, so that's that's quite interesting. So yeah, there's a very big difference in that regard. It's really interesting. Do you do you get to do much Arabic sign language? Only really when I visit. Only really when I visit Sudan. I mean, there are times, of course, where I meet people from Sudan here or from other Arabic countries. Let's say Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia. There are differences with their sign languages, but of course they are centered around Arabic. Um, similar, I guess, to what we would say here with BSL and regional differences, that there are fundamental differences, but at its core, there is a similarity. So I can use it in those instances, but only really when I visit or I see something. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so many of our viewers may be aware that you were involved in David Ellington's Dismantling Racism. BBC here and you've also worked um, done episodes of This Is Death on Black Lives Matter um, can you tell us just a little bit more about your experiences of a of being a black deaf man in the UK yeah I think like I alluded to before when, when I moved from Sudan, it was a real eye-opener for me because I was the only black kid in my class, right? And the similarity was that we were deaf, so that was great because in Sudan, I didn't see really any other deaf people. And the advantage of the community is we tend to see deafness as the, as, as the first thing that we observe, you know, you're deaf, so you're one of us. And as a result, in my class, I felt quite safe. There was there was no sort of distinction between me and my classmates. But when I got older, out there in the wider world, I started to become much more aware of it. You know, it's it's small things, for example, like being black in a majority white community. It's things like the foods that you eat, etc. I think I've been quite lucky in some ways I haven't had the same sorts of traumas as a lot of other black people have been through that's often sort of led me to think why have I been treated differently like you see a lot of black people who are very isolated who are bullied who are separated from the rest of the group and I've not really had to go through that maybe because being in London as well um, that helped rather than being in a more regional setting perhaps. But I really think that the biggest kind of acceptance factor was being deaf primarily. And I can say that for a long time I saw myself as deaf first, black second. But now I'm fully aware that I'm black first and deaf second. What do you think are the next steps in seeing more representation of the black deaf community? Yeah, I'd like to see more um, black TV presenters. I've met so many black females who have the talent, who have the skill. Um, I've also seen a lot of um, 
black people who have leadership skills but are rarely given those opportunities. Um, I think it's important to have that because then that lays the groundwork, role models, for people to see and believe that they can do it. Um, I think there are lots of equivalents within the hearing and deaf communities. Um, there's still a lot of internal sort of, um, you know, Im embarrassment that goes on that shouldn't. Um, there's a lot of black deaf kids in mainstream settings who I think really need to be brought into the wider community. I'd like to see a lot more of that. So how do you think we, Signature and other organisations, could go about doing that and working towards that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think you and others could do more outreach, could really try to understand what the issues are, what the challenges are, listen to us and find out what's really needed. So listen, really. Um, I think there are times where there are assumptions that are made, this would work, this would widen participation, and then actually it's been done without consultation. I also think sometimes we have to think about um, structural systems like board, board of directors of organisations. Is there enough representation on the board? If they are going to set the strategic direction of an organisation, we need to make sure there's representation on those boards. And I think we're starting to see a little bit more representation, but we need to see much more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to our audience um, going forward? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. What I would say is we all have insecurities, but don't let those insecurities stop you from taking on a challenge. I would advise anybody watching this, try it. It might not be for you, but make that decision after and not before the opportunity and have as much fun as you can whilst doing it. So, and, and since the launch of the documentary and the launch of Black Deaf UK, have you seen a, a positive change, do you think? Uh, yes. I think the documentary was very hard-hitting to the deaf community in the UK, um, really unpacking racism. Because I think a lot of people are still not aware of what racism necessarily is and what racism people still encounter every day. And I think it was an eye-opener for a lot of people within the community. And then in terms of Black Deaf UK, well, we launched three years ago already, that's flown by. And I think we've been successful in applying for small pots of funding, really trying to support black, um, black deaf children, you know, access to books, literature, positive with positive role models in that literature, um, engaging with parents of black deaf children, teaching sign language, having workshops, delivering a lot of anti-racism workshops, working with other sort of mainstream 
or you know, deaf mainstream organisations and really trying to lead on that awareness piece. And I think that's been really successful. And how do you, how can people get involved in Black Deaf UK? Is there things people can do to get involved or? Yeah, okay. So usually um, it is, you know, a Black Deaf person can be involved in Black Deaf UK because we're trying to create a space for Black Deaf people that feels safe and also a space for opportunities where people can come to Black Deaf UK and opportunities can be given to Black Deaf people. Um, so that's, that's the idea. But what I would say is, you know, we're really trying to get out there on more mainstream channels or social media, try and reach um, black deaf people that might not be aware that we exist. Um, we're also collaborating with other organisations like IOCN, the Interpreters of Colour Network, um, and we're collaborating with them. So we're looking to collaborate and give a safe space to black deaf people. Um, I think what's really important is that, you know, black communities, whether those be church communities or community centres, um, they too, mainstream black communities, need to be aware of the black deaf community as well. What do we mean by deafness? What do we mean by disability more widely? Um, can we support those communities, you know, if they have a deaf child? There's still a lot of talk in, in particular, scripture, um, black church communities of having a disabled child or a deaf child as being a punishment from God. And, and I think that we, there's a lot of work to be done in those communities to really change attitudes. Do you think you're starting to, to make those changes? Are those changes starting to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's like, for example, the, the wider British deaf community have lobbied and campaigned for recognition of British Sign Language for years. And it's taken a really long time to, you know, to get that groundswell. And then it took having somebody like Rosie Cooper MP to take the mantle forward. And I think the black deaf community need the same. We need to get that groundswell first, and then we really need that person who can take the mantle forward. Um, and obviously you've talked a little bit about um, racism. Do you think there's a fear that people are scared to talk about racism? Definitely. Definitely. I, I almost think there needs to be... I think people feel like there needs to be guidelines as to what they can say and what they're not allowed to say. And um, a lot of deaf people get really fearful about, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? So do you know what? I'm going to say nothing. And that's not healthy for, for anybody. And a lot of our anti-racism training is to create a safe space to allow people to express themselves and then we can talk about what language might not be offensive and why and is not offensive and why. Um, but sometimes, you know, social media can be such a difficult place. We've all witnessed situations where somebody has said something deliberately controversial or, or um, unaware of what they're saying and it explodes into a really big thing. 
and then people get entrenched in their positions. And that couldn't be more unhealthy if you tried. And that's why we have these workshops, because I think people need to feel comfortable talking about this issue. And if some of our listeners or viewers wanted to, to do that training, do they just get in touch with Black Deaf UK? Yeah. Um, as I say, with Black Deaf UK, we have um, Facebook. We are setting up our website. Um, Facebook works really well in terms of word of mouth and you know reaching certain communities but we acknowledge that we need to do more to reach out to those maybe harder to reach uh, that deaf people um, for example I had somebody text me who lived up north and said hey I've, I've heard of uh, Black Deaf UK but how, how, how do we get in touch with you and I know that's not so easy so we, we need to work on that to be honest hopefully um, you know, we will find the resource that we need so that we can get everybody in and deliver far more. Sounds really good. Um, so we end all of our podcasts with uh, the same questions to our guests. If you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would that be? I, I would tell my 18-year-old self to go for translation experiences earlier. Looking back, it was something, honestly, for years I was fearful of. And I just always thought, that's just not something for me. And I think now I wish I'd have just had the bravery to attack that sooner. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really interesting to hear about your experiences and what you're up to um maybe we'll have you on again in the future and see what's seeing what's been happening if that's okay but thank you so much it's been really good well thank you very much for for having me it's a pleasure a massive thank you to Ahmed there for such a great interview if you want to see any more of Ahmed please go and check him out on BSL Zone this is Def if any of today's issues resonated with you and you can find links to Signature Black Death UK and BSL Zone in the episode bio. I've been your host, Matthew Ford. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to like, subscribe on your podcast and video platforms. Until next time, goodbye.